0: So this is really a very symbolic event. Now, of course, it really happened. Something can be real and symbolic at the same time. But the symbolism here is really what matters. This is an event that communicates. And it is saying that the Spirit is going to empower the church to reverse the curse of Babel, the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to create a new type of human community. A third race is going to be born. A people made from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on planet Earth. That's what's being said here. Thanks be to God.
1: Welcome to End of the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. I love the idea that something can be real and symbolic at the same time. And that does seem to be a good way of talking about what happened to the church on the day of Pentecost. God was fulfilling an Old Testament promise and empowering a New Testament mission. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.
0: Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Acts chapter 2. This might be the chapter in the book that we know the best. It has three sections. Uh, Verses 1 to 13 describe the event of Pentecost. Verses 14 to 41 give us Peter's sermon explaining the event of Pentecost. And then verses 42 to 47 describe the effect of the event of Pentecost. Obviously, Pentecost was an important event. It was an event that changed the world. It was an event that changed the church. It was an event that God's people have been waiting for, for a very long time indeed. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now let's just pause there. What is the significance of this happening on the day of Pentecost? Well, originally, the day of Pentecost had been an agricultural feast known also as the Feast of Harvest. And it celebrated the grain harvest in Israel. Then later, in the intertestamental period, it became associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that there are echoes of both of those important themes in the event that we're witnessing here in Acts chapter 2. The pouring out of the Spirit was about harvest. Three thousand people got saved that day, and it was about law. It is the second of those, the, the law piece that probably needs to be explained and unpacked for people today. One of the great prophecies of the New Covenant in the Old Testament has God promising in Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their god and they shall be my people. Not many of us think of the Holy Spirit as a as a force obviously as a person but I'm saying as also a force of law within our hearts. That's that's an underemphasized theme but we, we see it right there Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them. So the Holy Spirit is a person but it's a he's a person that moves us in the direction of the law of God that empowers us to love and rejoice in and to move towards keeping the law of God that's an important theme in the bible so there was this expectation of a of a spiritual internal effectual giving of the law that was to come That's one of the climactic expectations in the Old Testament. Luke seems to be saying here, this is that. So putting that all together, I think we can say that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost was about empowering the church for a great international harvest and about enabling the church to walk in the ways and the word of God. Of the Lord. That seems to be why God wanted it to happen on this particular day, the day of Pentecost. So let's read about that. Verse 2 And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mockingly said they're filled with new wine now you could you could write a book or probably a library full of books attempting to explain what exactly happened on the day of pentecost peter is going to preach on that in just a second for now let's just be sure we are noticing what we should be noticing let's notice first that there was a noise and a fire as the Spirit fell. Clearly, that is intended to recall the experience of God's people at Mount Sinai when they first received the law, right? Go back and read Exodus 19. It's very similar story, right? Because we're dealing with the same God. This, this is the same Spirit. There can be no division between Spirit and law. The Holy Spirit gave the law, and the Holy Spirit was given so that we could keep the law. The law without the Spirit is death. But the Spirit divorced from law is chaos. And so we need to hold these things together because they are presented together. Luke is making that connection. God is making that connection. By sending the Holy Spirit on the day the people of God celebrated the giving of the law, he is making that connection. And we should just be careful not to sever that connection. Let's also notice that the disciples are enabled to speak in other languages. People from all over the world heard the gospel being preached in their own languages. Languages they did not expect to hear from a group of Jews who were mostly from the region of Galilee. So to state the obvious, this is not unintelligible speech. This is the opposite of that. People are hearing and understanding the gospel in their own local dialects. That's what the text says. Now, clearly, this is intended to make a theological and missiological point. John Stott says here, Ever since the early church fathers, commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. At Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ, prefiguring the great day when the redeemed community will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Closed quote. So this is really a very symbolic event. Now, Of course, it really happened. Something can be real and symbolic at the same time. But the symbolism here is really what matters. This is an event that communicates. And it is saying that the Spirit is going to empower the church to reverse the curse of Babel. The gift of the Holy Spirit is going to create a new type of human community. A third race is going to be born. A people made from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on planet Earth.
1: That's what's being said here. Thanks be to God. Pastor Paul, I want to jump in here if I can, because as I said in the program intro, I just love the idea that something can be real and symbolic at the same time. Can you unpack that for us a little further in terms of the gift of tongues as the sign of the Spirit's falling in Acts 2? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the program audio, I think I
0: quoted from John Stott, who, like a lot of other Bible commentators, makes the suggestion that the gift of tongues was symbolically communicating that in some way the curse of Babel was being reversed in the formation of the church.
1: Yeah, okay, so unpack that for our listeners, because there may be many folks out there who don't know what the curse of Babel refers to.
0: Right. Well, there's a story in the book of Genesis about a time when human beings banded together in rebellion against God. And to thwart their plan, God diversified their languages. All of a sudden, they couldn't speak to each other. And that was part of how God divided them and sent them out on their way. So again, I believe that was a real event, but I also believe that it was communicating something symbolic or paradigmatic. I think it was saying that unity is not necessarily an unmixed good. If people are united in rebellion, that's a bad thing. But then here at Pentecost, with the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out, God seems to be saying that it is his will now for people to come together. When people gather together around good things,
1: then obviously that should be celebrated and encouraged. And then, based on what you said last week, the giving of the Holy Spirit is more than making a new community. It's also about empowering the Great Commission. Unpack that dynamic for us a bit as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. The giving of the Holy Spirit is first and foremost tied to the task of the Great Commission. That's actually the first thing we learn about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is given by God to equip the church in the work of taking the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation on planet earth. And that is communicated symbolically through the fact that as soon as the Spirit fell, the disciples began preaching the gospel in the languages of people from all over the world.
1: So that really happened. But at the same time, it was symbolic in terms of what it was promising. Absolutely. All right. That's very cool. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them.
0: Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Let me just pause here and point something out. The Greek word translated here as addressed them is also used in verse 4 where it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we might say empowered speech is the gift being given by the Holy Spirit in other languages and also In straightforward vernacular. Both are in view here. David Peterson says Peter's extensive and carefully argued speech has a prophetic character and is as much a spirit-inspired utterance as the speaking in other languages. I think that's important because sometimes we tend to speak of the day of Pentecost as if the only real sign of the of the Spirit coming was that people spoke in other languages. That's not true. This Peter doesn't look at all like the Peter we're used to, does he? This speech by Peter, this marvelous, precise, powerful, and prophetic speech by Peter is just as much a sign of the Spirit as the speaking in tongues. So Spirit-empowered speech, right? That's that's the focus here, whether in tongues or whether in, in, in this case, likely Aramaic. That's what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is enabling the disciples, and particularly Peter, to begin spreading the gospel far and wide. He says in verse 15, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, way back in Numbers eleven twenty nine, 29, Moses had wished that God would put his spirit on every Israelite so that they might all prophesy. Joel said that this would in fact happen sometime before the great and glorious day of the Lord. Peter says, this is that, this is God pouring out his spirit generally upon the entire covenant community, rich and poor, male and female, high and low, they shall all prophesy. This of course is one of the points of discontinuity between the old Testament and the new Testament in the old Testament, the people of God were a nation with priests and prophets In the New Testament, the people of God are a people of priests and prophets. The New Testament teaches the priesthood of all believers and the prophethood of all believers. Now, this doesn't mean that every word out of my mouth or out of your mouth should be written down and added to the Bible. Far from it. In the New Testament, the apostolic prophets are the ones who are called the foundation of the church. They're laying the groundwork here. But it cannot be denied that in some sense, all true believers are helped to speak from the word of God to the people of God by the indwelling spirit of God. If this passage isn't saying that, then what in the world is it saying? Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So that sounds like Prophecy, spirit-empowered speech, is going to be characteristic of the entire New Covenant community. Of course, some may be more gifted than others at that, but all are going to be capable of that. If this passage means anything, it means that. Further, we are told that this will happen before the great climactic day of the Lord. So we might say that between the time of Pentecost and the return of Christ, the covenant community will be characterized by a wide, broad, and general presence of the Spirit enabling all of its members to speak the Word of God to the world with power. Male and female, rich and poor, old and young, every true believer filled with the Holy Spirit can Do this, and now Peter tells us why. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up See corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, notice what Peter has done. See the flow in his argument. Everyone is wondering about the gift and obvious manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That was the occasion for the speech. Everyone is wondering, what is going on? Peter says that this is what Moses asked for. This is what Joel prophesied would happen. This is it. The Spirit has been poured out broadly, generally, upon the new covenant community. And this is happening Now, Peter says, because Jesus, whom you crucified, has been raised from the dead and has ascended up into heaven and has begun to give gifts and blessings to his people. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's the logical climax of Peter's argument. Why has the Spirit been poured out? Because Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God and has begun to reign, thanks be to God. For Peter, this is further proof, as if any further proof was necessary, that Jesus was who he said he was and had accomplished what he said he would accomplish. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First thing we want to notice here is that Peter's Holy Spirit inspired message to this crowd of unbelievers was effective. Peter was helped to speak. He was making connections and understanding and applying Old Testament passages, but it is the reception that really gives the definitive evidence of the Spirit's overlapping presence. People were cut to the heart. That is not accomplished by rhetoric or sentence structure or arrangement, as helpful and necessary as those things may be. Only the Holy Spirit can cut to the heart. Peter opened his mouth, and fire came out, and all the people were as grass. That is prophetic speech. By means of this speech, people were brought to the threshold of salvation. They asked, brothers, what shall we do? That is the question that every preacher wants to hear at the end of his message, and Peter's answer is a guide and a model For all subsequent preachers to follow, he says, Repent and be baptized. To repent means to turn away from sins and to reorient towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. Peterson, again, is helpful here. He says, Repentance means a radical reorientation of life with respect to Jesus, expressing sorrow for having rejected the one accredited by God as Lord and Christ, Repentance is a human responsibility, something we are commanded to do, but it is also the gift of God. Repentance is only possible by God's enabling. I. Howard Marshall offers a very simple and useful definition of baptism. He says, Christian baptism was an expression of faith and commitment to Jesus as Lord. That's a very helpful definition. So that's what you should do if you've been convicted of sin and convinced of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should repent. You should express sorrow over your sin. And you should turn towards Christ with all the strength and joy and gratitude that God provides. And you should get baptized. You should express your faith and commitment to Jesus in public, in the company of your new brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what you should do if you haven't done already. Finally here, we should just point out what Luke says in verse 40. With many other words, he bore witness. What we have in Acts 2, 14 to 39 is a summary of a much longer sermon. The same is true, of course, of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the Gospels. It takes about 15 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount, and yet people walked for days to hear Jesus preach. I'm pretty sure he didn't give them a 15-minute sermonette. The Gospel writers give us summaries, and so here as well. Peter might well have preached for three hours. We don't know. What we have is Luke's five-minute summary. He also tells us a little bit about the life of the church that was founded as a result. In verse 42, he says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. day by day, those who were being saved. There are similar descriptions in Acts 4, 32-37, and Acts 5, 12-16. The point seems to be that under the preaching of the gospel and the ongoing work of the Spirit, a new community was being built up. God wasn't just changing individuals and releasing them back into Judaism. On the contrary, he was building something entirely new. New. This is the new wineskin for the new wine of the Holy Spirit. This new group is characterized by devotion to the Apostles' teaching. You're not a part of it if you don't share that commitment. I think that's fair to say. They're committed to fellowship. This isn't personal piety or desert mysticism. This is body life. They're committed to the common meal and to prayer. And they're committed to each other. When there is a need, people sell their property and possessions to meet that need. They're doing life together. And the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. That's a good church. That's a spirit-born church. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: And thank you, friends, for joining us for another episode of Into the Word. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet